How can we be faithful in troubling times? Find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. In Job chapter 1 and 2, we learn about the faith of Job as he is attacked by Satan. God said that Job was an upright man who feared God and shunned evil, but was that true in his troubles? Well, let's find out how he responded to these attacks as we look together today at Job chapter 1. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. The book of Job. Job is right after the book of Esther. It's right before the book of Psalms. But what I want to talk about tonight for a few moments is the subject of faithfulness. The book of Job, chapter 1. But I want to talk about the subject of faithfulness. Faithfulness is really talking about the state of being with someone in whom you can put your complete confidence in. It's really a word that talks about the act of being faithful. It's a word that talks about loyalty. And we all know what loyalty means, right? And the longer that we live, the more that we see either how important that is because we seem to see a generation that's coming up that doesn't really understand loyalty and reliability and dependability. One of the things that we do at, at the school is that we teach what is called a soft skills grade. When I was in California a couple years ago, um, and I attended a conference with working with kids with disabilities. And one of the conferences that I was in attending, this gentleman was talking about soft skills. And I, I was really interested in what he had to say because we do this in the school. We start from the first grade all the way up to 12th grade teaching them these soft skills. And soft skills are things like dependability, being reliable, being on time, being responsible. And this is stuff that it takes a while to teach. And this gentleman was saying that when we look at people to hire for our company, we're looking at people who have those soft skills because he said the people that don't have them, it's really hard to teach these things to them. Even though they may have all the qualifications for the job, that is the hard skills, they have the training. But he said we would rather look into the soft skill area and, uh, and train them with the hard skills ourselves. And I th- just thought that was very interesting because, like I said, working with kids and talking to them about the importance of responsibility, you know, one of the little things that we have to do is keep them where their shirts are tucked in and stuff like that. That gets to be a little monotonous after a while. But I'll use myself as an example. I'll say, you know, you can see that, you know, I have my shirt tucked in. And my shirt stays tucked in all day long, okay? So the only way your shirt doesn't stay in all day long is that you pull it out, okay? Now, it's understandable if you're at PE. I understand that. But when you come in the building, you have to have your shirt on and your shirt tucked in. And so I'll say that all the time to them. And I'll, I'll just, just reiterate some of these soft skills because I'll say, like, when you get out of school and you get you a job, you're going to have a set of rules that you'll have to live by working for that person or persons or company, and they'll have their dress code. I've got one kid that, that's a senior, and he works for Chick-fil-A, and uh, they have a uniform, okay? And uh, he wears a uniform to school, and what am I always telling him? Tuck your shirt in. And uh, they have to have a belt on. They have to have their shoes tied. I mean, all these little different things. That, it's just responsibility. 
And some kids really need you telling that because they have certain disabilities that, you know, affect that. But there are some who don't have any trouble with that, but they just fight you on it. And so it's the whole issue of uh, being faithful, faithfulness. That's a good characteristic. That's a good thing to pass on to other people. Uh, with my kids, I've certainly, from day one, have uh, sought to pass that on to them. You've heard me talk about when I had my study in my front room, and we had a glass door. It was, they were French doors, and so they had wood around them, but they had glass in them. And they'd be about Hannah's age and a little bit older, and they'd be standing there with their little nose pressed up against the glass while Daddy was studying. And I had my back to them. I had to have my back to them because there's no way I could study having that, you know, looking at me. I'd open the door and call them in and sit on my lap and let's talk and play and roll on the floor or whatever. But it was important to me for them to see me studying and what I was doing. Now, when I was making radio programs, because I had to make them in the same room, I didn't really care for them being right there because I could pick up the noises that they would make. But when I was studying, it was very important for that. And still to this day, it's important to me. They know if, if I am back in my study, I'm studying. That's what I have it for. Now, with all this technology, I try to sit at the living room and try to uh, read, and I go back and forth reading. Uh, one of the wonderful things of being off for Thanksgiving is that I got to have more time to study. And I would just pick those moments when I had it and people were kind of oblivious. And then on their, their little world, I'd sit down, pull my laptop onto my lap, and I would read. And some people don't like to read by the computer, but I work off a computer all day long, so it doesn't really bother me. But I'd have my Bible sitting there, and I'd have my pad sitting there to take notes. And I would read um, out of programs that I use on the Internet. I have a, a Bible program that I use. It has probably about a thousand books in it that I purchased over the years. And it just has everything I need. I can, I can put it in my bag and carry it and go anywhere I want to go. And I don't have to worry about carrying so many books with me and being weighted down trying to carry those books. And then not having the right book I needed when it came to something I was needing to read. But the whole idea was I wanted them to see faithfulness. I wanted them to see and I still want them to see that, you know, I'm faithful to my job. I'm faithful to be, I'm actually early. I like to be early. To things. I don't like to arrive right when I have to be there. But sometimes that happens because you have traffic or you have other issues that come up. I just, I believe in faithfulness. I believe in reliability. If I tell you I'm going to be somewhere, um, if I'm not there, then maybe send out the troops because there's a reason why I'm not there. And it wasn't because I chose not to be there. It's because something happened and prevented me from getting there. But these synonyms for faithfulness, these words like trustworthy, and dependable, and reliable, and loyal. These are words that I would use to, des to describe Job. We all know the story about Job. We all know about the trials that he experienced, unimaginable trials that he went through. He didn't know that, that God had allowed Satan to do these things in his life. But let's begin there at verse 1. And... Um, if you look there in verse 1, it says some wonderful things about Job. And this is the Scripture talking about him. And then, of course, verse 8, we hear the Lord talking about Job. And these are things that, wow, if the Lord is saying this about you, this is really good. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz. And Uz was near over the Midianite territory. And says, there was a man in Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Listen to all these things about this man. Blameless. Nothing could be 
Well, there could be a lot of things said about a person, but it's one thing to have it said about you. It's another thing to have it stick, that it's true about you. People attack our character all the time, one time or another. But here was a man who was blameless. They could try to cast the blame on him, but it wouldn't stick. He was upright. He feared God. He turned away from evil. And you can see all of these things said about him when you read the first two chapters. In fact, in chapter 2, when he was covered with boils from the crown of his head to his toes, his wife says to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. I was thinking the boils aren't on you. Now, she experienced the same experience that he had when, when they lost their ten kids. She was mourning the loss of their kids. But as far as the second major issue that went on, the trial of losing, you know, or having his person affected with the boils, she wasn't experiencing that. Anytime you think a person is suffering, or I will say every time, or, or everyone thinks this, but there are people that do think that just because you're suffering... You, you had to have done something wrong to bring this upon yourself. You know, you're in some kind of sin. And yes, there, there is a... If you take 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about the Lord's Supper, and there Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church and the rich believers that were coming to the table, they had the potluck and the, and the Lord's Supper, and they were coming to the table drunk, and they weren't sharing the, uh, the meal with those who were poor. And he rebuked them for, for that, and he told them that for this reason, many of you are weak and sick and falling asleep, and falling asleep was a euphemism for dying. And so there are times that, yes, our sin can bring about, you know, chastening from God. It can bring about ultimately death. Um, but in this case with Job, that wasn't what was going on. We get to... We get to see the curtain pull back in the first two chapters where they didn't get to, he didn't get to see that. He didn't know what was going on. Let me take a moment and read some more of this. It says in verse 2, when it starts telling us, first of all, about his family and then his possessions in verse 3, it says, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. I have four sons and three daughters. So he had a big family. He had three more than me. And... Then it says of his possessions, his possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. If you had that many animals, you needed very many people to help take care of them, right? I mean, we have animals, and it takes a lot out of our family to tend to them, um, but anytime you have anything of that nature, whether it's a, a child or an animal, it's going to have responsibility as well. And uh, I told the students the other day when I shared this story with them, I said some of you probably tell your parents that you want this cute little dog or cat or whatever it is, and you've got good intentions to saying you'll feed it every morning and feed it in the afternoon, take it out to go to the bathroom and all that stuff, and that lasts a week, two weeks maybe three weeks, and now mom or dad's doing it, and you have nothing to do. I, I, I can't tell you how many times we're dealing with horses that we've talked to horse owners, and they'll say that, you know, we got this for their daughters or their sons, and now they don't have anything to do with them, and that's why we need to find a home for them. We, we've had this horse for one to three years, and my daughter or my son doesn't have anything to do with it. And you can't have an animal of that nature and not handle it. You just create a problem for the next people that get it. 
And so, but here he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. That's a lot of animals. And a person's wealth was measured in their possessions uh, of what they had. So he was a very rich man. And it says, And the man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them. All for Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This gives us an insight about the time period of this book. Um, it predates the Mosaic Law, so this had to be before um, any of the prescribed offerings that were given to Israel. He obviously was the family priest. Here he's interceding on behalf of his kids and offering up the prescribed offerings um, for doing that. Now the curtain's pulled back in verse 6. So we got a little bit about Job, what kind of man he was, what was the possessions that he had what kind of character did he have and interceding for his family. Perhaps they may have sinned, so he offers up those burnt offerings. And then it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking about or walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And let me just say before I read any more, Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is an accuser of the brethren. He accuses us night and day. Worst thing that you and I can do when we are down is to isolate ourselves. Because our mind will play tricks on us. Our emotions will tell us things that are not true. But we'll get to the point from hearing it all the time in our mind that we will believe it. And Satan's a master at this. And notice what he does in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? So he was accusing, first of all, Job's relationship to the Lord that he served him because of what he possessed. God had blessed him. God had given him all of these things. And Job did acknowledge that God had given them. You can read that at the end of the trial. But here, Satan is an accuser. You see that again in verse 9. And he says, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has and on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, Job is doing all of this because of what you have given him. But if you pull all this stuff away from him, he's going to curse you because he's serving you for what he can get from you. He's serving you for these possessions. Well, of course, that was a lie. You don't have a testimony of being blameless and upright and fearing God and turning away from evil if you're serving God for what you can get out of it. You know, there are many people that say, Lord, if you get me out of this particular situation that I'm in, I will promise to give my life to you. I will serve you the rest of my days. And they may have all good intentions, but the real motive is is to get me out of this situation because once I'm out, I'm right back to where I was. And I'm not having to worry about this problem that just happened. 
Well, the Lord said to Satan in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now notice this, verse 12 is very important here. Nothing can happen in our lives unless God allows it. That is the principle of verse 12. God had to give Satan permission for whatever Satan wanted to do to Job. He had to have that permission. God did have protection on him as well as every believer. We belong to him. We don't belong to Satan. We belong to Jesus Christ. And here he tells him, you have power. The power is in your hand. Just don't put your hand on him. And so what do you do? When you read at this point, you see all the things that happen. All of these things would affect Job. But Satan did not touch Job personally. He didn't have anything to do with putting his finger on him. That wasn't until after the second situation when he put the boils on him. But the first, he didn't touch him. Notice what he says in verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house... A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Look at this. Rapid fire secession coming on him. Now, we do enough to handle one trial. Maybe two. But here, one right after another, after another, after another. And just just back up to that. So the first thing that happens, you look down at verse 15, the Sabaeans attacking and taking the oxen and the donkeys and then taking the servants and killing them with the edge of the sword. And only one escapes to go and tell Job this news. And the second thing, of course, the fire of God falling from heaven. Now here's something that's insightful. Satan can mimic God. Okay, we look at things that happen, natural phenomenal things that happen in our world. We don't know if God is doing this or if God has allowed Satan to do this. In this case, we know it's Satan because we know the context here. We know what's taken place. God has given him permission. And he says there the fire of God fell from heaven. They thought that this came from God, but again it came from Satan. So that's the second thing that happened. The first is the Sabaeans taking the animals and then killing the servants of those of his. And then the second, of course, the fire coming down and consuming the sheep, also killing the servants. And then the third thing that happens is the Chaldeans forming three bands and making a raid on the camels and slewing again the servants. So on all three occasions, the servants were killed. The fourth situation then involves his family. Now, possessions are what they are. You either own them or they own you. And the way that you find out if they own you is when they get taken away. Right? Possessions can be replaced. People can't. 
And you find there in the next situation that his sons and daughters are killed. And this great wind was a tornado that took them. Ten kids all at one time are killed. To me, that's the greatest of the things that Satan could do to me. You know, take my family. That's where you're going to hurt me. Okay? Again, Satan couldn't touch him personally, but he could certainly touch the people around him. He could affect all of that, and he does do that. And verse 20, this is where we see Job being a blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil, when you look at his response. Look at his response, verse 20. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. This was a sign of humility. And he fell to the ground, and what does he do here? It says he worshipped. This was a man who feared God. He knew who was in control of his life. He didn't understand all of these events and why they were happening. And many times, we always try to put the why in there. And we don't have to know why. And in many cases, we may never know why. We're just to trust God. We belong to Him. We're His possession. He is our Father. And so in this case, he worships. And listen to what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? He didn't know Satan did this. As far as he can tell, the Lord did this. It was taken away. First it was given to him, and then it was taken away. Listen, I'm going to bless the Lord either way. And he looked at his possessions as a gift from the Lord. He looked at his family as a gift from the Lord. And it says in verse 22, Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now he could think in his mind, God did this and took this away, but he didn't cast any blame on God. A lot of times, people will take bad things in their life And they will either directly or indirectly blame God. Indirectly is what James speaks about in James chapter 1 and verse 13 and following when he talks about temptation. And we're not to say that when we're tempted, we're being tempted by God. It says, for God is not temptable. He doesn't tempt us with evil. Psalm 23 tells us, He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Well, look over to chapter 2. It doesn't stop. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, by the way, between verse 22 and then verse 1 of chapter 2, we don't know what kind of time lapsed. Obviously, there was some time because it says there was a day. The sons of God are angels. They come and present themselves before the Lord. Satan also comes with them. He is an angel. According to Ezekiel 28, he's a cherub or was a cherub. And they came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Same kind of questioning. Satan answered from the Lord, or answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord again says the same thing. Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And then notice this. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord, and here he is again. 
Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to his face. So his first, his first accusation of God was, if you take everything away, he's going to curse you, because that's why he's serving you. That's his motive. Okay, well, that didn't happen. But now, you touch his body, and he's going to curse you to your face. Same kind of accusation, but he's saying, now let me touch him. And he says there, Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So you can do this. You can't kill him. Verse 7, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils, sore boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd. A potsherd was a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he was sitting there among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, and Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed set good from God and not accept adversity in all of this? Job did not sin with his lips. So again, he didn't sin. And now he's in a painful situation that has affected him personally, that is with his body. Taking his family away from him affected him personally. But this was on his person. This was his health. And as we mentioned a moment ago, then there were his three friends. I think his three friends became a trial to him too. When Job's three friends heard all of this adversity that had come upon him, they came, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. Okay, their motive was good. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. And then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his his pain was very great. Again, to me that was the best counsel, was that they didn't say anything to him. They were just there. And you know what? When you're with someone that's hurting, sometimes we think that we have to say something. Um, I think just being there says a lot. I think a person will remember that you were there more than they'll remember what you say. I'm not saying that we don't say anything. I think we just need to be sensitive. Sensitive to the situation like they were in this case. They were sensitive to his pain. Are you sensitive to others as they suffer troubling times? Well, I hope that you are. You've been listening today to Faithfulness in Turbulent Times. This message is available on one full-length audio CD for a gift of $5. You can place your order today by calling us at 904-651-3351. Or if you prefer, you can download the free MP3 from our website by visiting us at www. .changedbygrace.org While you're there on our website, I would encourage you to listen to our series called The Genesis Record. It's 20 MP3s on the subject of origins. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I do want to thank you for listening today. I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together from God's Word. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I would like to invite you to our 11 o'clock service this morning at Eastport Baptist Church. 
We're located at 1322 Eastport Road in Ocean Way. We are biblical, expository, and reformed. So I hope that you'll join us and worship with us together. I hope to see you then.